the dude runs angry with the ball and he just has to catch it that's the only thing yeah. like like just catch the ball because well, he well, seems to be that, in the right place at the right time that's the problem for the entire receiving core is catching the ball What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Chasing It. Trey Wingo here with Chase Daniel. Chase, week 12 rolled through this Sunday. Some amazing games. None more ridiculous and fun and entertaining, perhaps, than the game between the Eagles and the Bills. The Eagles find a way to get it done again in overtime. They take care of Buffalo. They move to 10-1. and And look, we can talk a lot about metrics, and we can talk a lot about stats. But what you saw from my perspective on display with the Eagles Sunday was something called championship DNA. They were, they were getting obliterated in the first half. They were completely outplayed, yet they hung in there, made a few big plays, and found a way to win. That, to me, is more important than any numbers you can throw up on the screen. There's no doubt about it. And the fact is, they ended up winning and winning um, in dramatic fashion in overtime. But it was like that first half was like that hangover from that Super Bowl yeah. rematch of a week ago. And that's the same yeah. with the Chiefs. The Chiefs took them them uh, like a quarter and a half to start, too. So um, two heavyweight battles. You like to see it. And then, and honestly, like the Eagles, for me, just the, the, the word of the night for me, I just kept coming back to it, is resilient. Just a resilient bunch of guys in a rain-soaked game. I mean, at one point, they had thrown through three quarters. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles had thrown for 91 yards and had just cut the lead to three. And so you do that, and then you have a heavy dose of DeAndre Swift. At one point, Jalen Hurts had... Um, three touchdown passes in his last four attempts heading into Crazy. like the fourth quarter. So you just get, uh, you just see that. And then Jake Elliott, like no one talks about that guy. Like how many big kicks has that dude made? And honestly, you look back on games like this in another Super Bowl run, if that's what they're going to end up doing. And you're going to be like, man, like Jake Elliott. Okay. 59 yards in the rain. In the at rain. Home. In the rain. So, like, that, the first thing that I went to right there is, like, snapper, holder, kicker. Because I was a holder for four years, and I was putting myself in that position. I was like, there's no way in hell I'd want to be in that position. Because if you drop it, dude, it'd be awful. It's like the old Tony Romo in Seattle Seahawks. That's a a great point, because no one ever talks about the hold. They talk about the snap, and they talk about the kick. No one ever talks about the hold in those situations. So it's yeah. it's you know it's got to be a low kick because it's coming out. It's 59, 59 yards. It's in the rain. The ball's going to be slick. How much anxiety is there on a holder in that situation? How much was there on you when you did it? I mean, a lot. And I remember I played in a snow game in Cincy, and I tried like so many. I tried both gloves on both or two hands, and I tried a glove on one hand, then I tried no gloves. I ended up going no gloves in the snow. And the whole time, I wasn't even worried about going into the game if Drew were to get hurt on offense. I was worried about getting the hold down. And sure enough, we had like a game winning field goal kick that, and it was perfect. It was good. But you just constantly think about it. You're constantly getting snaps on the sideline. And that's literally the first. I mean, I had anxiety like, on the like watching the game figuring like oh my gosh can you just imagine okay like everyone has to do their job from the snapper to the holder to the kicker the kicker is has been like uh, really really good and the fact is they got it down they got the win they ended up going to overtime and you know the other side of the ball too with Josh Allen and Buffalo to me they played a hell of a game honestly but it just wasn't enough well listen yeah 
Everyone says there's no superior team in the NFL this season. I think it's pretty clear the Chief, the yeah. Eagles are that team. It's pretty clear that the Eagles are that team. You can say whatever about the drops by Marquez Valdez-Scantling and a couple of the players in the Monday night game that might have won the game for the Kansas City Chiefs. It might have. The, the Eagles just find a way to win. To me, there's no doubt that they are the most... I'm not saying they're the most dominant team in the NFL, but if I had to bet on one team to show up week in and week out and find a way to get it done, it has to be the Eagles. Well, it does, and I just don't think that Nick Sirianni gets enough credit because they've lost both offensive coordinators to head co- or both an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator. So, so both coordinators are gone. You have two brand new coordinators coming in: Brian Johnson, Sean Desai, and they just seem to not miss a beat. They're ten and one. It's just like, how are they ever going to lose? It's just they seem to find a way to win. And the, the the way I like watching it as a fan now is, man, I love watching Jalen Hurts. I love watching his demeanor on the sideline, his demeanor in the game. He's just so cool, calm, and collected. It never gets to him. And the fact is, like, they were getting their butts beat early. And there was just, like, no panic. Like, let's just – he looks like he's moving in slow motion. And then, obviously, he gets the walk-off game winner, ends with four to five touchdowns. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, this first half of this game was hideous and it was rainy and both teams were playing sloppy. And all of a sudden, this goes to what I thought was probably the best game of 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 the day. Well, not only that, but let's be honest, Jalen Hurts is doing it hurt. I mean, like, yes. you can, he's, he's just saying, I'm going to have to deal with it. That knee is limiting him on so many runs where he would normally be way more explosive. And I think that sort of, that sort of embodies this team and this city, right? Philadelphia is not an easy place. You know, Philadelphia is not an easy town. I mean, you, you, they, want, they want toughness there as much as they want wins. And I think the way Jalen is playing through this injury – he is more beloved in that town I, I'm at this point than I think almost anybody. Yeah, and I would I would agree with that. And that's the biggest thing is 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 the Philadelphia Eagles fans like everyone hates them. And if you're winning, if you're on the Eagles, you love them. And even sometimes you hate them because they'll they'll straight up boo you. I don't care if it's Jalen Hurts or Donovan McNabb or Andy Reid or T.O., whatever it is. Like, if you're not doing your job, they'll boo you. But they'll be the first one to pick you up and say, hey, great job. Way to go. They're rowdy. They're crazy. They don't care what you think about them. And, no, and honestly, it, it's a tough place to play. It's a tough place to play and, and um, you know, just furthers your home field advantage. Because if they keep doing like this, I mean, no one is close to them in the NFC. They have a two-game lead over the Cowboys um, in the division. They're the number one seed by two games. And if they keep winning like this, like the road to the Super Bowl is going to go through Philly. Well, listen, Dallas was the hugest Buffalo Bills fan uh, today because they thought, okay, if they, if they knock them off, suddenly if yeah. we win in the rematch, because the Cowboys have yet to lose at home 13 straight games that they've won, and they've, they've, never, tra- they've never trailed in any one of those uh, home games uh, this season. Yeah. They have not trailed for one second. In their home games this season, they're thinking, okay, then we get them again. We beat them here. Suddenly, we have the same record. But someone's going to have to stop Philadelphia to make that game interesting, where Dallas can potentially use that flex as their home field advantage when they get to the postseason. You mentioned Buffalo. This was a game that I feel Buffalo kind of gave away. And Josh was amazing. Let's be clear. I mean, he over 400 yards of total offense. He accounted for three touchdowns, two throwing, one rushing. But Chase, both sides of Josh showed up again today. The touchdown machine, and at the most inopportune time, the turnover that really brought Philadelphia back into the game. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing, right? Like, you said it before, and I'll say it right now. It's like he has the most turnover since 2018, since the end of the league, and it's not even close. Okay? And so that's the biggest thing. That's what you know what you're getting. And when they made the move from their old offensive coordinator to Joe Brady, okay, they thought that they were getting – 
Ken Dorsey, yep, they thought that they were going to be able to get a turnover-free Josh Allen. That's not the case. That, that, like The whole problem with the Ken Dorsey firing, to me, which I didn't think it was right at the time, was they were still top 10 in all the offensive categories except turnovers. Turnovers are a uh, player thing. Okay, It's not a coach thing. So when you change these offensive corners, now I will say I was really impressed with Joe Brady down the stretch on that two-minute drive that, to go take the – take the lead because they went run, 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 five runs, quick game screen, run, run, RPO for a touchdown in a two-minute drive. Like, take all of it off of Josh Allen's plate, which he did, but the play calling can only be so good if you're the trigger man pulling the trigger and you can't make the it's, – it's like you play 65 plays and that, that 65th play – Okay, that's that one play that everyone scrutinizes. It's the same story with Josh Allen for me. It's like, hey, that one play, he had over 400 yards of offense, four touchdowns. Yeah. And honestly, the fourth quarter was nails and willed this team to almost uh, to win. And it would have been a huge win for them. But at the same time, it's that one play that always changes the games. And I just want to see that one play for him not be an interception. Just right. throw it away. Take a sack. Like, I don't care. Just don't give the ball away, especially deep in their own territory. Live to fight another day. And again, on balance, he played great. He led them to a... And by the way, if, if Gabe Davis and he had been on the same page, they might have won it on that first drive with a touchdown. Gabe went outside when clearly Josh thought he was going inside. He was wide open on the inside, and they just didn't connect. But right now, as it stands, with the way things are going today, the Indianapolis Colts are in the seventh seed in the AFC <laughs> oh, playoffs. We'll get, to, we'll, get, we'll get to the AFC South in yeah. a minute. We'll get to that. But, but real quick... mania, baby. Okay, right now, these are the three teams just outside the seventh seed in the postseason. At eight, you have the Houston Texans. At nine, you have the Denver Broncos, who have won wow. five straight games. Yep. And right now, ten, you have Buffalo. Of those three teams, which one are you most confident that might be able to sneak into the AFC playoff picture through the final few well, weeks of the season? Before today, I would have easily said um, the Houston Texans. But I'm starting to change my mind a little bit on these Denver Broncos. And, yeah. and it's the reason is, is because Russ is cooking. Okay, that's great. He's playing uh, st statistically one of his better years in a long time. But without a doubt, it's that defense. Yeah. Three more takeaways today, a safety. I think they have like 15 takeaways or something crazy in the last five games. So they're giving their offense multiple opportunities. The offense is cashing in. And quite honestly, at home, okay, against the Browns defense that doesn't travel really well on the road, put up 29 points. On a, and, and that's the thing is like, man, like I picked the, the Browns to win the game. And I should have known, hey, this Browns defense doesn't really travel. Yeah, DTR got knocked out. Um, P.J. Walker was – so it's just – I mean, it, it's just crazy to me to think that – and I don't know the answer. Like, guys, I don't know the answer. It's like how in the world do you give up 70 points to Miami well, that's early the in the season? Yeah. And then you completely turn around. In the last five weeks, you're playing just as good as any unit uh, in the National Football League. Well, that, that's the beauty of it. They wanted every – in Denver, they wanted everybody fired after the first few weeks of the season, especially after the 70-burger in Miami. But it's amazing how long a season is, and it's amazing how much things can change. Because you're right. Uh, over the last five weeks, and it really started with that snow game in Denver against the Chiefs where they beat them for the first time in 17 tries, that that defense really came together. That unit is playing as well, like you said, right now, as any unit in football – and it just shows a testament to, to playing the long game. And you got to give Sean Payton some credit here, yes. right? 
because when it was bad, he didn't fire. He wasn't going to fire anybody. Everyone was calling for everybody to get fired. And then the Jets came in there and won. Everyone had a really good time. Oh, Nathaniel Hackett comes back to Denver. The Jets find a way to win. Sean Payton, you said all those things. Ha, ha, ha. You know what? The Jets laughed first. Sean Payton may be laughing last here. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I just go back to, because I, I know so many people on that staff, and I've always been a huge Sean Payton fan, Zach Streif, Joe Lombardi. Zach Streif's the O-line coach. Joe Lombardi's the, uh, the offensive coordinator. And from my time with, uh, with the Saints, and I remember in 2012, and I've told this story before, but I think it's really relevant now because I've lived it. I've been in Sean Payton's uh, locker room when it's happened. We started 0-4 in 2012. We won four straight to get back to 4-4, four and four, okay? And we ended up win-lose. Win, like, we were a game out of the playoffs. We didn't end up making the playoffs. This this reminds me of that season. I texted Joel Lombardi right after the game. I'm like, dude, this reminds me identical, identically to like what happened in 2012. He's like, dude, it's like the same vibe but better, and we're playing better on defense. Better. We're, nice. we're, yeah, and, and and we're also and we're also like figuring out who Russ is as a player. It's taken a little bit of time in the Sean Payton offense, but who Russ is? Hey, give Russ a, a, a primary read, give him a secondary read, and move around in the pocket. Don't try to get through three reads. Give him a pure progression play. That's exactly what they're doing. And he's making he's making plays, especially in the red zone with his feet. He's not taking sacks. There's no negative plays. Very little turnovers. This is what you need to do when your defense is, is carrying him. And eventually, eventually he's going to have to, Russ is going to have to carry this ship, okay? But they're doing really good things right now, and it's just a one-game-at-a-time mentality. I remember when, when we started 0-4, Sean was just like, Shut everything else out. Put the blinders on. Put the earmuffs on. Don't listen to a word. Trust that we can be the better team right now for one week at a time. Did you just go old school on us? Earmuffs. Earmuffs. You go old school on us right there? Earmuffs. Let's go, baby. (laughs) No one knows what earmuffs are. I do. I'm not that old. Okay. So, So had the Chiefs stumbled today, suddenly Denver's in a really interesting position in the division because they have split. Uh, they have split uh, the season series with the Chiefs, but Kansas City rallied and they scored 17 second half points. Uh, again, they had before today. It's like 54, the Chiefs right? had not. Yeah, no, it gets better. Before this, the Chiefs had not scored a second half point since October 22nd. They had gone over a month without a second half point, three games and a bye week. And they get 17 in the second half. They take care of the Raiders 31 to 17. Patrick Mahomes throws for nearly 300 yards, 298, I think, uh, two touchdowns. Isaiah Pacheco is strong on, on, on the ground. The defense gave up two scores early and then put the clamps on Aiden O'Connell and company. Are the Chiefs back? Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't Rasheed think they Rice, would never. Rasheed Rice, Rasheed yeah. Rice had a huge 39-yard touchdown, big play, expos- yep. explosive play. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 never th- I never thought the Chiefs weren't back I thought that they struggled through a little bit of issues that got uh I guess exposed when they played some really good teams okay mm-hmm. and um but I do think I mean look I love what I saw out of them and and that's what I've been waiting on and I've been tweeting about it and I've been very honest with Chiefs Kingdom and everyone out there is like you just have to figure out a guy, another guy outside of Travis Kelsey and maybe Isaiah Pacheco. And that right now, to me, he's gaining the trust of Patrick Mahomes. It's without a doubt Rasheed Rice. I tweeted about it again today. It's like the dude runs angry with the ball. He just has to catch it. That's the only thing. Like, like just catch the ball because he seems to be in the right place at the right time. 
that's the problem for the entire receiving core is catching the ball. I mean, they, they yeah. led the league going into this game in drops, and I think they had two or three more in this contest. Yep. But, but yeah. I, I want to I get to a couple of other statistics. So I want you to put in perspective why these things are as important as they are. Okay? This is now the Chiefs' record with Patrick Mahomes after a loss. They're 17-3. and three. With Mahomes as a starting quarterback, they just don't lose back-to-back games. They find nope. a way to bounce back. The Raiders were up 14 to nothing in this game. So that's a double-digit lead. In Patrick Mahomes' career, this is one of my favorite stats of all time. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. i got to pull it up right. In Patrick Mahomes' career, including the playoffs, you know what his record is when his team is down by at least 10 points? That's a lot. No, what is it? 15 and 11. Okay, 15 and 11. Okay, that's a winning percentage of, that's a 58% winning percentage, okay? That's now let's put that in perspective. That is far and away the greatest winning percentage for a team led by a quarterback when the team falls by double digits in the history of the NFL. In fact, second place isn't even at 500. Second yeah. place is Tim oh. Tebow, whose teams are 5 and 6 for a winning percentage of 455. But wait, let's take it oh a few steps further. God. Where are some of the all-time greats on this? Otto Graham is third. He was 7-10-1 for a winning percentage of 412. And here's where it gets really interesting. Tom Brady, who everybody thinks is the greatest quarterback of all time. You know what his winning percentage was of the t- for the teams he played for when they had a, the fell behind by double digits? You want to take a guess? 380. 380. Dude, 379. Like, right on Let's the nose. Well go. done by you. And the guy that many think, think uh, Tom Brady replaces the greatest of all time, Joe Montana... 370, 17 and 20. He is, Patrick Mahomes in these situations is so far the outlier. Like the the line is a dot. He's so far away. You can't see the line from where everybody else is behind (laughs) Mahomes in these situations. Well, first of all, I never thought we'd be talking about Tim Tebow on our podcast when we talked about this. Neither did I. But Tim Tebow, what's up, man? Welcome to Chasing It. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's so interesting because... Uh, when you were telling us that in the production meeting, I was like, I, I almost couldn't believe it. And we, we stat checked it. It was right. And then you just go to Tom Brady and Joe Montana, top five quarterbacks in any consideration of, of all time. All and time. and they're, they're like 380 and below. And so I don't know what it is. It's something about Mahomes that makes him special. It's that, it's that Mahomes magic that he has. He's never out of a game. And that's why the Chiefs, as long as he is playing quarterback for the Chiefs, they will always be relevant. They will always be relevant because of Patrick Mahomes and what he's able to do. And it's just, it's freakish. Like, it, it reminded me this past game was uh, just like, was it last year they're down 17 nothing when Kelsey caught four touchdowns? Yeah. It was last year, right? 17 yeah. like, nothing. I've yeah. seen this Raiders story again, and it's just like, they own yeah. the AFC West. Like, stop playing with them. Like, they, no one can, t- I mean, yeah, Denver beat them. One. Okay, congratulations. The first time in like five, 10 years it's or something the, like it's that. The, it's the only road loss, yeah. road division loss in his career. In Patrick Holmes' yeah. career, it's the only road division loss was in Denver this year. So, obviously, quarterbacks matter, right? That, there's no question about that. We saw that again with the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think we need to touch on something else. Uh, and that is uh, the Brady-Belichick mirage. Okay? Oh <laughs> because it's not a Brady-Belichick thing. It's a Brady thing. Yeah. It's a Brady thing. Uh, the yeah. Patriots lose 10-7 to yeah. seven to yes, the Giants. They miss a field goal, potentially send it to overtime. Riveting game, I, by the way. Uh, well, at one point they had more punts than points in this game. It was freaking insane. It was disastrous. 
This was the first time in Bill Belichick's career as the head coach in New England where he lost a game to the worst scoring offense in the NFL. Prior to today against the Giants, he had been 12-0 and as the Patriots head coach when playing the worst scoring offense in the NFL. He's now 12-1. and but Let's take it one step further. Here are the numbers for Bill Belichick, greatest coach of all time, a lot of people would say. With Brady, his winning percentage is 219-66. and That's 76.8. Without him, he's 45-51. and In the playoffs, when Bill Belichick has Tom Brady, he's 30-11, and 732 winning percentage and six Super Bowls. Without Brady in New England, 0-1, losing by 30 points to the Buffalo Bills a couple of years ago. With Brady... Turnover margin was plus 203 in 286 games. Without Brady, turnover margin just plus 14 in 94 games. Uh, they have scored seven or fewer points in the Tom Brady era five times. They've scored seven or fewer points four times this season. It's not Brady and Belichick. Wow. It was Brady. It was Brady. It was Brady. And, and, and Yeah, and we need to get <clears throat> in this edit, okay, producers, you guys watching. We need a stat sheet Do of that stuff. on the screen. Yeah. Do your yeah. thing. Put the stat sheet there and keep it there for 15, 20 seconds because I want people to understand, and Trey, you said it, and you brought this to our attention. Is like, that's absurd. Like, that's yeah. absurd. Like, people are like, that shuts everyone up that thinks it's Belichick. Like, you yeah. can't come to me and tell me that you think it's just Belichick. It's the greatness of Brady. Now, it's the greatness of Brady and Belichick together. And listen, Brady went down to Tampa and did it without Belichick. So, it was Brady. And uh, it's just as, it, it's crazy to think about because Bill Belichick will still go down as po quite possibly the, the best head coach of all time. We've talked about it. We both agree on that. Like, it's not even close. But um, to, to see the the Giants, okay? Tommy DeVito and the Giants get hey, Tommy. a win. Hey, Tommy, get a win against New England, and they scored 10 points. It's absurd. It's unheard of. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, and it just tells you how bad of a season it is down there in New England. And we got to talk about the quarterback situation, man. And I've talked about exactly. it before, and I'm going to say it again. Like, you went in, and I say you because – you can debate all you want about Bill Belichick, the GM, but don't debate about the head coach, okay? Because Bill Belichick, the GM, went into um, New England and decided to have those two quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, and they were okay with that. How does that happen? That's a great point, and I can't answer that for you. I mean, I, I, I don't understand how you can do that. And was this the end of Mac Jones's starting career today? Bench for bench for Bailey Zappi. I mean, it has to be, it has to be like, what other way can you go into a situation saying Mac Jones is, is the future? Like, no, like it, it, that's just, it's the whole thing that we talked about last week when Jake Browning and Cincy and my tweet went viral on it and the backup quarterback situation, like you went into the season with those two guys as yeah. your like one and two, like there's so many other guys you can go out there and get for 10 million bucks that'll at least elevate your offense. And that's the thing, like it is Mac Jones. And I think Mac Jones tenure is over as a starter in New England, but like they don't have anyone to throw to. You watch the film, you put on the tape, there is zero separation. The pass protection's poor. So it's an offense as a whole, but obviously, like we've talked about it, as a quarterback, you're going to get way too much credit when things go right and way too much blame when things go haywire. Things are going more than haywire, bro. Like, you've – it's just 
I hate I hate seeing that because I know that that defense deserves better. I know Belichick deserves better. But Belichick, at the end of the day, he went in and he okayed those two guys going in for the quarterback position to start the year. It's just it's uh, I don't know. Uh, don't get me started on this backup quarterback stuff, man. Well, this is this is the part of the pod where every week Chase says I'm still worth ten million dollars a year if any team is interested. Hey, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll just say this and we'll leave it here for people that aren't old enough to remember what it was like when the Patriots weren't the most dominant franchise in football. This is what the 70s and 80s looked like in New England. A perpetual losing cycle with no hope in sight. So the Ravens go into SoFi and come out with a win. They maintain the number one seed in the AFC. And for more on this, Chase and I are delighted to be joined by Hall of Famer Rondé Barber, who knows a thing or two about defense playing all those years with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Rondé, this Ravens team is interesting because despite all the love and, and the hype about Lamar Jackson and Zay Flowers and Odell, this, this team is really built around the defensive side of the football, and they delivered once again tonight. Well, they got some pretty good players on offense, but you're right. Uh, I, Trey, I thought at the beginning of the year that this defense was one of the best uh, in football coming in. They're playing the past couple of weeks without Marlon Humphrey. Um, Cleveland's the number one defense in the league, yards-wise. But Baltimore's right behind them, and they're second in points allowed. And it just shows week in and week out. I mean, defense, or at least good defense, is about a couple of things. It's about angles. It's about uh, finding ways to hustle. Uh, and this team does it better than, than anybody. When, when you see the number of hats that gets the ball, it's very evident why they win football games. It calls four takeaways today. One of those was interception. But three of them were just guys getting their ass to the ball and, and, and getting it loose. And to me, that, that defines this this uh, this Ravens defense. Um, we know they're good. They can win on that side of the ball. Uh, they're very complementary to each other. Uh, and it, it, to me, it's no surprise that they're, they're they're leading a very competitive AFC North uh, right now. It should be it should be a fun last couple of weeks to see if they can maintain this because, as we all know, uh, the Ravens have traditionally, at least past couple of years, uh, kind of tailed off towards the end. And um, this doesn't seem like the same defense. So uh, we'll all be paying close attention to it. Yeah, Rondé, I'm glad you hit on it because I was going to ask too, like from a quarterback perspective, I know what makes a good defense because I can just see it and it's hard to explain. You sort of hit on it, but like what makes this defense so special? Is it the coaching? Is it the players? Is it the scheme? Is a little bit of everything because as I watch them and as I watch them play, there's no easy completions. As quarterbacks, we always talk about just give me an easy completion. They're out there smacking dudes left and right. Justin's throwing flat routes, hitting like for three yards. I mean, all that stuff. Like what to you makes a good defense and what is so special about this in particular one? I think they have the right players at the right positions. Obviously, they got some great linebackers. You know, best uh, safety slash linebacker in football. Uh, right now in um, <clears throat> Kyle Hamilton, but you put in Queen in that in that conversation. You have a great rush up front, and then their scheme under Mike McDonald has really t- kind of evolved over the past two years. Um, they don't use a lot of pressure, but they can, and they're very timely when they bring guys uh, off the slot. You saw it in this game uh, uh, against the Chargers uh, on Sunday night. Uh, when they needed to make plays, they weren't playing coverage. They were, they were sending five and six guys. Right. Uh, and it's, it's very, very timely. I think good coordinators know how to do it that way. It's not 
throw the, you know, throw the, the bus at the, at the uh, come off the bus blitzing. You know, it's, it's be very calculated with, and they do that. And that complements their already great player, their skill set of players. And uh, I, I think they're fun to watch. When I, when I studied them, I haven't studied them a bunch, but when I've studied them um, this year, it's, it's that. It's the scheme, finding ways to get creative at the right moments. And I, I just give a lot of credit to, to, to Mike McDonald. He's found a way to utilize his best players the best possible way. He certainly has, and they have depth at every sort of position on defense, right. whether it's the line, the linebackers, or the secondary, as you mentioned, doing this without Marlon Humphrey right now. Uh, but let's look at the AFC North in total. I, I, I do think we'll see three playoff teams from the AFC North, but let's start with Pittsburgh. In their first game with a new offensive coordinator and after the firing of Matt Canada, they have 400 yards of offense. They didn't score a ton of points, but they have 400 yards in total offense for the first time in 58 games, which had been the longest streak in the NFL. Do you think this yeah. offense at Pittsburgh is something that is sustainable going forward, or, or is this was, to, was this game against the Bengals sort of a fluke? Well, I think you can ask Chase this question. Good offenses, to me, at least the ones that I played against, uh, are about process. Like, what is your process? Which, I mean, obviously you have a game plan, uh, but can you tie it all together? You know, you, do you, are you running the ball to throw it? Are you throwing it to run it? Et cetera, et cetera. And you could tell that uh, their new offensive coordinator was like, Najee Harris needs the football. <laughs> and yeah. they, they, he was for 100 yards uh, it, today. It opened up the middle of the field, the passing game. Kenny Pickett, uh, at least the parts of the game that I saw, looked way more confident throwing the football over the middle of the field. I mean, it helps the fire move his back, obviously, at tight end uh, to give you that option. Um, but the quarterback looked better because um, I had my doubts. You know, I, yeah. Chase, you played the position a long time. The dude makes you worried that he can't that he nope. can't make the big throws when he needs to, but I think uh, they made it easier on him today, and it showed. Obviously, they're going to play great defense, so you're always going to be in games. What you want is not to have to put it on the quarterback for him to have to win it uh, all the time. And uh, and and today, even though it was a close game score wise, it felt like an offense that could win, and uh, yeah. it felt that way all year. They were winning in spite of their offense uh, earlier in the year. Let's go to the Browns. So Browns right now are currently the sixth seed at seven and four. Lost a tough one against yeah. Denver. Um, talk about quarterback issues with Pittsburgh. At least Pittsburgh knows who their guy is. Right now, DTR, concussed, don't know who's going to go out there. You got Walker, you got Flacco, uh, possibly. They're staying on the West Coast at insult to injury. Like, it's if all Flacco over the place. Plays, what are your what? Flacco plays, you should come back. I, that's what I'm saying. I could come back and play. That's what I'm saying. But, like, there's a real possibility. Uh, we have been lobbying for Chase to get paid for four weeks now. We have been we have been lobbying for Chase to get paid for four weeks now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm past that bus. But, like, talk about the Browns because I know you're not super high on them. I mean, the defense is really good, but you right. can only go so far with a good defense, and you don't know who's going to be playing uh, yeah. come Sunday at quarterback. You know, I think Ford's a good runner. Kareem Hunt's a good good runner. Um, but you know what they were built off before and w without wow. their star running back, it's, it's not an offense that you can really trust. I think, especially in the playoffs, if PJ Walker's your starting quarterback, can he win? He's athletic. He can do some things. You can get your, you can coordinate a way for him to, to be impactful. But for me, the Browns, unless they're winning on defense, I mean, legitimately winning on defense. They gave up 29 points to the Denver Broncos, who are the most checked down <laughs> heavy team in football. Uh, and, and, and how many yards did they give up today to, 
to, to, to Russ. 294 yards they gave up uh, to Denver today. So it's uncharacteristic. It's the reason why they didn't win this game. They, they weren't able to stop an offense that had really been kind of, I don't know, pedestrian. Stagnant. Even though, Stagnant. Yeah, even though – even though Denver was winning games, it was it was awful football to watch. Um, but it, so to me, this is what the Cleveland Browns are going to be without it without a legitimate quarterback. And Dorian Thompson Rob, Robinson had played well the first two snap games, uh, but again, it wasn't like gangbusters. You know, at the end at the end of the day, when you get into playoff football or towards playoff football, some, your quarterback's going to have to make some plays. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're right at that position when they need to be at the most crucial part of the season. Yeah, the, the, the Cleveland quarterback situation is, is less than spectacular, for lack of a better term. And Joe right. Flacco, honestly, might be their best option. And, and yeah. it, it, it's not shade on Joe Flacco at this point, but if Joe Flacco might be your best option, and he would have been for the Jets. I'm, Chase and I have said that forever. They just Jets. brought Joe yes. Flacco back <clears throat> to the Jets. The Jets would be in a much better position than they were with Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle. But it does feel like it's very defense-dependent. Uh, with the Cleveland Browns. And speaking of defense, you brought up an interesting point on Twitter. You had how many touchdowns in your career as a as a Hall of Fame secondary player? I had, I had 13, but only eight of those were interceptions. And that was over right. 16. <laughs> right. And so Why aren't you playing so, offense, bro? Oh and and so Deron Bland now has set the record for the most yes. pick sixes in an NFL season with five. And but to put that in context so people understand, there's not a single player in the history of the Dallas Cowboys, one of the most premier franchises in the NFL, that has five touchdowns in their career from a defensive standpoint. So you brought up this question, which I think was really interesting. Why are we always talking about edge rushers, whether it's T.J. Watt or Miles Garrett or Chris Jones or you know, some of these guys as being defensive player of the year when Deron Bland, who, by the way, is only playing – because Drayvon Diggs, a starting, is only playing as a starter because Trayvon Diggs went down with an injury, now has set the record for most pick sixes in a single season. He has to be the in a front runner for Defensive Player of the Year. So the last Defensive Player of the Year that was a cornerback is actually Deron Bland's teammate, Stephon Gilmore, in whatever year that was, 2019, was Defensive yeah. Player of the Year. His stat line was six interceptions, no touchdowns. So yeah. the, in the next, from the 90s on, uh, Rod Woodson won in 93, 94 was Dion. so back-to-back corners. The next one was Charles Woodson in 2009. He led the league in interceptions. He had nine interceptions. He had three touchdowns uh, uh, that year. This guy is through 11 games, has five touchdowns, and I think he has the lowest passer rating against uh, of any qualified corner right now. Now, remember, Deron Bland – played at Sacramento State, he had two interceptions, had a COVID year, transferred to Fresno State, had two interceptions. This, he's got four college interceptions. He's got five <laughs> touchdowns. In and, and by the way, we might want to like consider that the dude is a good player. Last year yeah. when uh, Jordan Lewis got hurt, who was the nickelback, the third corner, yeah. Deron Bland came in and had five interceptions last year. So the guy can obviously play. Um, you know, I, I did a, a study on him uh, a couple of days ago and just went back and just watched his five touchdowns. He had one in the very first game of the year playing nickel because Lewis wasn't back yet against the Giants. Uh, and then he had one against uh, uh, the Rams. Uh, he had another one, obviously, against the Commanders. 
He had, the one he had against Carolina, he's playing man-to-man. He chased the dude across the field. And if you want to go back and look at a, a guy that should be in consideration, watch that interception. I know the, the Chase, uh, Bryce Young is struggling a little bit uh, throwing the football. But this wow. interception is a diving, uh, wow. a completely stretched out, hands catch, roll, does a barrel roll, gets up, scores. He has to be in the in the conversation. He's only two people in the NFL have more pass defense than him. Obviously, has seven touchdowns. He's leading the NFL. Uh, we used to always say, and you guys can relate to this for me because our offense wasn't very good back in uh, in Tampa. Our mantra was score or get the ball back for our offense. Right? We wanted to score with the football. And to me, I judge yeah. corners by the way they buy and if they can take the football away. And he's doing it better than anybody in football. And compared to the five guys that I just told you from the 90s on that have won Defensive Player of the Year, he should be in this conversation. Edge rushers are sexy, man. They're big. They're they're dominant. You know, they change games. But this dude is changing games better than any corner I've seen in probably 10 years. And it's, it's, yeah. it's awesome to, for him we- to be having this conversation about him. When you studied him and when you went back, what makes him so special for people out there? Because, you know, we can talk all day, the ins and outs of a, of a special corner, but a guy that can not only be sticky in coverage and play man, but also has good vision in zone to understand route concepts, all this stuff goes into it. Can you talk about, I mean, no better person than a Hall of Famer to talk about, but when you studied him, what stands out the most other than the touchdowns on the film? the fact that he makes it look easy and there's only one way you make interceptions especially interceptions for touchdown look easy it's it's your it's your preparation and then seeing the opportunity and taking it the guy is incredibly instinctive two of his interceptions one against uh the the commanders and the one against uh, um the la rams were yeah. both cut splits uh literally the same route it looks almost looks like the exact same play um but he anticipated it before the snap and with, he's running the route for the receiver. He he made it look easy. Yeah. So for me, that's how you know that this guy is on top of his game. And he's 24 years old, second year in the league, and he's already got this this understanding of how to play in Dan Quinn's defense. I mean, he's he's, he's pretty special, man. Fifth round draft pick that nobody could have guessed would be this good, uh, and he's lighting it up right now. So it's it's fun to watch. It's awesome. It certainly is, and it just proves, as you said, a fifth-round pick. The draft is the most inexact science there is. If if yes, if the is. you know if people actually knew what they were doing, ninety percent of the first-round <laughs> picks would actually be stars. But they never are. And you find guys like Deron Bland, as you said, uh, in the fifth round, who has five pick sixes on this season. That's an NFL record, and we still have like five or six games for the Dallas Cowboys right. to play. Rondé, we appreciate your time as always, man. Thanks for being with us tonight on Chasing It. So one last game in Week 12, the Monday night showdown between the Vikings and Josh Dobbs and the Chicago Bears led by Justin Fields. Chase, Justin is a really interesting sort of discussion point here because the the, the Bears have more draft capital than anybody in what is supposed to be a very quarterback-rich draft. They have the opportunity to go get what they want. Do you think they should? Or do you think that Justin Fields has done enough to establish himself as the guy in Chicago going forward? Well, yeah, that's a million-dollar question, Trey. And honestly, what everyone's talking about in Chicago right Technically, now. Technically, it's I'm, a multi-million-dollar question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I and I'm of I'm of the uh, opinion that I do think, um, especially this year, that Justin has proved he at least 
deserves a chance or a, another year, maybe with a new offensive coordinator, um, to prove that he is the guy. And especially, I just look at the last game he played against Detroit. They should have won that game. I thought, right. in my opinion, that Justin played probably his best game as a pro because you're on, you're on the road against a, a potential number one seed in the Detroit Lions, and you go out there. The first drive was magnificent. I've never seen him look that way. He's getting through reads. He's getting through progressions. I broke it down. Um, and the way he's running the ball uh, that game, over 100 yards rushing. And, and I do think that he has done enough so far, so far, to prove to not only um, himself, but to the regime of Chicago, to the fans of Chicago, that he is the guy, that he can be the guy. Because if the Panthers keep losing, which it looks like they're going to, the Bears are going to have the number one pick. Okay, they, yeah. Look at their offensive line. They need an offensive tackle, and they need a receiver. Marvin Harrison Jr. is out there. If you, yeah. if you can get Marvin Harrison Jr., pair him with Darnell Mooney and DJ Moore, to me, that is a – epic receiver room and in an epic like group of guys to throw to with Justin Fields. Now, if you if you do want to go in and draft a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, that's great, okay, but I still think there's a possibility that they can keep Justin on the roster. I don't think they're just going to be go trade bait him. It goes back to what we talked about of having a legitimate and decent quarterback as a backup. Right, so that th there's yeah. all sorts of options on the table. I think these next six games are going to be telling, and it's going to be telling not only for Justin Fields but everyone on that roster, for Ryan Poles, for Matt Eberflus, for everyone. Hey, what kind of guys do we have in this locker room? Where do we need to build? And right now, for me, it's offensive tackle and receiver. Now, look, if you just fall in love with Caleb Williams or Drake May. You got to do what you got to do, but you're starting all over again. And in my opinion, Justin is still a really good quarterback in this league. Like that's this is the thing about this matchup. He got hurt in this Minnesota game. Okay, he he tore his thumb up, and he's been out for a little while. Was able to come back. It's going to be interesting to see how he does against this blitz-heavy defense, and see if he actually has gotten better from the first matchup. Well, what what you just said is really interesting, right? Because everyone falls in love with a quarterback in the draft. And let's just go back a couple of years to the 2021 draft. Trevor Lawrence was taken number one overall. I think he's been proven to be uh, worthy of that pick. Second overall is Zach Wilson, whose QBR out of 100 in his career is 30-plus, which is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have Trey Lance, who's now languishing on the bench uh, in Dallas behind Cooper Rush That's and obviously true. Dak Prescott. Yeah. And you have Mac Jones. And Mac Jones... Uh, who has probably played himself out of being a yeah. starting quarterback in the New England Patriots in Justin Fields. I feel like every year people fall in love with quarterbacks when they draft them, but it never really comes to fruition. So the idea of drafting a quarterback seems like a great idea all the time. But then when you draft that quarterback and you have to play them, more often than not, especially high picks in the first round, it doesn't work out. Well, and you don't know what you have in those draft picks, right? You, think, you can think, like you said, they're the best things in sliced bread. But they actually have to go out there on the field. They have to fit within this, the, the scheme. Now, that's what Ryan Poles is there for. That's what he was brought in for. Does the scheme of either Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams, or Justin Mills, which 
scheme fits our guy better. And if it doesn't, then if we're going to go a completely different scheme for Drake May, then we need to build our team for Drake May. Or if it's Caleb Owens, we need to build our team for Caleb Owens. I can already tell the pieces around Justin, they're sort of building it in that way. Now, other than the first four or five games on offense this year, Luke Getzey's done a pretty good job of saying, hey, okay, you're a shotgun quarterback. Let's give you a read or two reads and then take off and go. Let's let's incorporate the quarterback run game. So all that stuff is in their favor. But like you said, it's a crapshoot at drafting the quarterback. At least you know, if I'm Chicago, that we have the draft capital to actually go out and build around a guy who we think possibly in Justin Fields could be the future of the franchise. Yeah, look, it's all great when you see this new thing and you think, this is what I want. But at the end of the day, I mean, let's just take Patrick Mahomes as an example, right? Yeah. He's as great as a quarterback as there is, but even he needs help. Like, there's a reason the Chiefs are scoring less points per game right now in the Patrick Mahomes area than they have at any point because the receiving room is not great. It's as, it's as lean as it's ever been, even though they're 8-3 and three and he's doing amazing things. So why don't we just take Justin Fields, who we know can provide us with enough game-winning plays, and build around him instead of doing the thing where you lather, rinse, repeat, and start over and over again like, wait for it, the Jets. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, your time's running short and you know what you have in Justin Fields. In my opinion, there's enough tape it given the offense, right? Like I don't even use the tape against Justin Fields, like against him when he's running an eye formation under center offense, he's not that type of quarterback. No. And quite honestly, a half of last year until the new England game and three, four games into this year, that's what they were doing. So throw those out the window. Give me the games that he was doing what he does best. Like a lot of people, including myself saw, possibly saw the jump in year three going like Jalen Hurts did in year three. Yeah. Okay, it hasn't quite been that way because they don't have the pieces around him because, like Jalen exactly, Hurts did. Because, because the team around him isn't as good as the team around Jalen Hurts. And it's not exactly. taking any, anything away from Jalen Hurts, who made amazing plays. But most quarterbacks need better players around them to be the best version of themselves. Yep, that's what offense is. 11 players, you're only one. You need your other 10 around you at all times doing the right thing at the right time in your whole entire franchise. If you want to put your franchise, uh, the Chicago Bears, on Justin Fields' back, I think he can handle that burden. You just have to build around him. Yeah, which is why I will die on this hill. Wins and losses are not a quarterback <laughs> stat. They're not. Teams win games. Teams lose games. Teams win championships. The quarterback has an extra burden, but if he does his job and nobody else does their job, it doesn't fucking matter. 